0: The reading for this morning is uh, John 4, uh, verse 4 to 42. It's quite a long one, but we'll get there. So it starts with, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he came from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marvelled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why you water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about, something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, and gather the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed, this, thank you, I'll hand over the mic to
1: Richard. have to excuse my voice today because I've uh, been battling a cold all week and it caught me. So I finally got my voice back a little bit today. But thanks for having me and uh, for allowing me to come and share with you today. Um, Yes, I am Andrew's brother. I always say the better one, (laughs) (coughs) the older one. Um, I uh, joined Prison Fellowship about three and a half years ago. Uh, after a a 30-plus year career as a teacher and a school principal. I worked mostly in Christian schools, uh, both in Perth and here in regional Victoria. Um, And it was while living in Perth in the 1980s that I was invited to join a prison fellowship uh, volunteer team going into a prison in Perth. It was a time that I was uh, actually newly married and uh, my wife and I, Jenny, were members of Bill's Church in Williston at the time. And Bill will know the guy who I'm going to talk about. So we were in a a, like a a home group for young married couples, and it was led by a guy called Laurie Cruz. And uh, he said, "Look, hey guys, um, we're going into prison, Canning Vale Jail, in in about two months' time to do a. Anyone want to come and join us?" So my friend and I put our hands up. Yep, we'll do it. And uh, Right, he organised for us to get some training because you don't go into prison without some proper training. <coughs> and um, anyway, two months forward, the day of the uh, the workshop came around and uh, got in the car, got to the car park, got out of the car and I looked. Uh, what have I done? <laughs> what am I doing here? My mate had already bailed before. I was there, with this team, and... Uh, I thought, no, nah, got to do this. So I walked in the gate. Bang, the door closed behind you. That's it. They never open two doors at once in a prison. Next door open, club, bang, get out of <laughs> I'm locked in. Anyway, we went to the, uh, the room where we were going to have this workshop. <clears throat> and the guys filed in from all different parts of the prison. And uh, that feeling of apprehension and fear just like it evaporated. And suddenly I just felt... I feel like I'm in my happy place. This is where I'm meant to be. It was such a great day. So after that, I joined <coughs> a team going into Fremantle Jail. Every Saturday afternoon, we'd go to Fremantle Jail. It was a multi-denominational team. We had a, a Catholic nun, two uh, old Salvo guys, a charismatic Baptist lady, a couple of Anglicans, and Wim Berggraf and myself from the Reformed Church just shared the gospel. It was just so... So good. And I love the fact that it was all different denominations. We could all focus on the one thing that united us all. So that was great. Fremantle Jail was a horrible place. It was built in the 1850s and hadn't changed. So there were no toilets in the cell. The cells were built for one person, but they held two. There was a bucket in the corner. That was your toilet. And uh, so it was pretty antiquated. Uh, It made Pentridge look quite luxurious. They closed it after I left Perth in 1990. Um, fast forward to 2018 and I moved f- to Melbourne after being in regional Victoria for quite a long time. And I joined PFA, or Prison Fellowship, in, in a part-time capacity. Then in 2020, I became full-time uh, volunteers manager. And then last year, I was appointed as state manager for Victoria. So I really love this, uh, this ministry and the way that it reaches out to people In our prisons, and in this passage that we have before us today, we see a pretty interesting interaction between Jesus and a person who, in many respects, was rejected by broader society. If you want to really, it moves me to tears every time I see it. But if you've heard of the um, the chosen, if you ever get to watch the episode on YouTube, the woman at the well, it never fails to make me cry. Just a beautiful um, depiction of this story. Anyway, um, Jesus is a person who is rejected by broader society and her community, much the same as men and women who have been in prison or are still incarcerated today. We sometimes call them the invisible people. Others forget about them or even deliberately ignore them. So the main focus for my message this morning is Jesus in this passage calls us to step out and join him in reaching out to the world with the good news of salvation and restoration and reminds us that this is something we don't do alone. This is something that is done in partnership. So this whole scene with Jesus at the well is absolutely loaded with meaning. There's lots of stuff happening here. And it would have been an explosive narrative to the first century hearers of John's Gospel. Because of all the things that Jesus did, he, wasn't, he just overturned a lot of cultural conventions. He just had an interesting interaction with Nicodemus in John 3. And now he has it with this woman. It's like two ends of the social spectrum, from Nicodemus to this woman. But both of them, in their own way, are searching. Both of them are empty. They're looking for something to fill that emptiness inside them. They're spiritually thirsty, in need of the living water that only Jesus can give them. I can't help thinking that our prisons are full of people just like these two, who are searching for meaning, feeling that there is something more to life. At the moment, I'm midway through a course. I'm going to Darungal Prison every Friday, and I'm running a course we call The Prisoner's Journey. The Prisoner's Journey is an eight-week course, which, covers, which is basically an introduction to the gospel. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And what does it mean to me? And I've seen now these fo- seven men that are coming, for the, mo- the, mo- the best time I've ever seen these guys really hungry and wrestling with the material that we're sharing and working it through in their minds. That What does this mean? I've got a guy who came who said all of this stuff about Jesus, I thought it was all BS when I was a kid, they just shoved it down my throat and I didn't believe it. But now each week I can see him just sort of taking it in and just, you know, he's really grappling with it. So we can see that hunger there. It's really lovely to be able to see that. In both conversations, Jesus here is hinting at his purpose for coming. And that is to usher in the kingdom of God. To bring in the kingdom of God. Of the water and spirit, which is available to all who step into this blessing by faith. So at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus decides to leave Judea and head north through Samaria. Just a sentence in the Bible. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now that alone is a major, major statement. What was he doing going through here? They disliked each other intensely, but as often we see, Jesus breaks conventions and challenges of long-held prejudices all the time. Perhaps he's hinting here by doing this at the nature of the kingdom of God, an upside-down king- kingdom, a kingdom with all those cultural and social prejudices and barriers. As if to underscore his really overturning things, he stops at a well near Sychar. Think about it, Jesus sitting by the well the hearers of the, bio, of the first century hearers of John's gospel, they would have, if they knew their Bible, would have thought, sounds like Eliezer sitting by the well. Sounds like Moses sitting by the well. So Jesus is kind of linking a little bit back to the Old Testament, reminiscent of earlier well scenes. And I think in a lot of ways, and just as an aside, it's kind of like Jesus' his life is patterning his whole life on the story of Israel. His life is like Israel's story. Jesus' life pattern on Israel's history is like he's reliving it. But as the true and perfect Israelite. And then he asked the woman for a drink of water. Jesus is up to something here. He didn't do this by accident. He went this way on purpose. He sat by the well on purpose. And he met that woman on purpose. No coincidence. Uh, In 2012, my wife and I had the pleasure of going on a trip through Israel and doing a biblical study tour. And we really, really got that. That wherever Jesus went, it was all part of the plan. There was nothing coincidental. He did everything deliberately. He flouts cultural norms and speaks to a woman and to a Samaritan woman at that. And what's more, she's obviously not a respectable woman in the eyes of the community, as we see later on. And by virtue of the fact that she's drawing water in the middle of the day when no one else is around. This raises more than one or two eyebrows of disapproval. And I love the reaction of the disciples later on. The Bible says they marveled, but I think they would have thought in their minds, you serious? Jesus, do you see what you're doing? You're talking to her? They thought it, but they didn't want to say it. They knew better. Just by stopping and talking to her, though, and drink of water, he smashes all the social norms. In his conversation with her, just by that simple little question, he gives her respect. He values her. I'm talking to you. Can I please have a drink of water? Straight away, she feels valued. She feels respected. I believe. She stops you just talk to me? Did you ask me for a drink of water? She slowly begins to take notice of this strange man. Someway she just feels drawn to him. Then in an interesting conversation, he gently but firmly makes her aware of the spiritual emptiness and of the spirit. look, he might be physically thirsty. he'd been walking for six hours, however long, but she, is way more thirsty. She's living in a spiritual desert. Jesus begins to declare to her that the new kingdom of heaven, and that he is there to, he's there to inaugurate it. Jesus supersedes the ceremonies and customs of the Samaritan Judean people in her conversation with her. He says, I'm here to over over supersede that, to overcome all of that. His gift of the Holy Spirit supersedes the old water rituals. Great encouragement for John's readers and this woman who had the spirit but lacked the rituals. Him openly declaring who he is in verse 26. And I'm astounded by that. He wasn't willing to say this in Judea. He didn't say that. And often you hear him say to people, hey, shh, don't tell anyone. he healed you but don't say anything. But he doesn't do that here. And to the Samaritan woman, he says, I am him. I am the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. he. This whole interaction is so loaded for me. It's so impacting that he chooses this woman to reveal who he really is. It's significant. The effect is almost electric. You can almost sense the excitement. What does she do? She drops a water jar. Now, a water jar is a pretty important implement. You don't want to lose that. But for her to leave it at the well and run back to town to tell the others about what what had just happened to her is an amazing thing. And she tells her townsfolk about her, her testimony in a sense. Now, you think about it. She's drawing water in the middle of the day because no one else will let her draw water any other time because of the kind of lifestyle she'd led five four or five husbands and now living with a guy she's shunned by the community so she can only get water in the middle of the hot part of the day when she goes back to tell everyone about what had just happened to her do you think it would have been just hey hey guys guess what happened no she would have had to work hard to get them to even listen to her so it would have taken time because they would have thought well, what are you talking about who do you who do you think you are she didn't care. She just broke through. And eventually the effect was they listened. And the people are moved to go to the well and investigate for themselves. They go to see. And what is the long what is the effect? Many Samaritans believed. Not only that, he stayed there for two days and did a Bible teaching for them for two days. Amazing. There's a story a bit later, I think it's in Luke. It's in the first three Gospels where Luke, where Jesus heals a man who, who had a demon in him in the in, in the Decapolis, the most a big ungodly area of Israel set up by the Romans to be Greco-Roman. <clears throat> he heals this guy of the demons, casts the demons into the pigs, and they, the guy's sitting and listening to Jesus teach and everything. And Jesus says, Well, it's gotta go, we've got to go now. Gets into the boat, and the guy goes, can I, can I come with you? And she said, no. Go back and tell everyone what happened. Well, What effect is that? You can track it. Later on, Jesus comes back to the area. There's a group that gather. They heard about him. Guess who told them? Jesus goes away, comes back another time. This time he feeds 4,000 people who came to hear him. 4,000 people. Guess who started all that? This is a similar thing. One lady healed and redeemed. It's the countercultural nature of the kingdom of God. Samaritans being converted, then sitting under the uh, under Jesus' teaching for two days, begging for him to stay. Those you would least expect as citizens of the kingdom, leading the way early on in believing and acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I'm amazed at this implied statement and the pattern that Jesus is demonstrating, who he goes to. So we get to our text for the day. Our text for today is verse 34 to 38. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who draws a, reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. So I'd like to make three points. First one, Jesus tells his disciples and us as well that the time for reaching out with the gospel message of salvation and restoration is immediate. We just need to open our eyes to see it. Second point. In front of us, and thirdly, the mission is always completed in partnership with others. So, the first point the mission is immediate. And just a note on verse 34, Jesus uses agricultural and food imagery. I did a little bit of study on the word food, and uh, when we were in Israel, the guy that was leading us said, The Hebrew language is full of meaning. So, we in English are used to having one meaningful word, and maybe a couple of meanings, but Hebrew can have lots so one idea is that the word food in ancient times was also used to mean your calling or a metaphor for your the way you your're your calling in life the way you live your life what you're meant to do in life so Jesus has said my calling my food is to do the will of him who sent me and I like that I like that meaning I like that image so the mission is immediate. The time for action is now, says Jesus. Open your eyes and see. As I said, he used agricultural images here because that's what they would have related to. use of salvation now. And they're thirsty for living water now. And I've seen that in the guys that come to our course. He just demonstrated this in his conversation and subsequent conversion of the Samaritan woman. The disciples couldn't see it without Jesus pointing it out to them. He says, it's time to get out and collect the harvest now. All the preparation, all the work has been done and there are people out there ready to hear the gospel now and to enter into a restored relationship with God. While there will be opportunities in the future for a harvest, there is already a harvest now. The Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, for that matter, were both ready to hear the good news and they were searching do you see those people in your lives? Do you see the others, that the people that others don't want to see? Refugees, homeless, people with debilitating illness, people reaching out for meaning, the people in your lives that maybe are like the Samaritan woman. When we go into prisons, we often see them, hearts in search of answers, people in spiritual deserts searching for the living water that only Jesus can provide. God has been working and the Holy Spirit Spirit has been preparing hearts. And I believe that's what happened with my Prisoner's Journey course. God prepared the hearts of those guys as they came in. Each week they learn a bit more about the gospel. The mission field is, the second point, the mission field is closer than you think and usually in places you wouldn't expect. With Jesus' help, the disciples were shown that there were people right in front of them who needed to hear and receive the good news of the kingdom of God. They're thirsty and they need to find living water that will satisfy them forever. But I think the disciples would have been reasonably apprehensive about travelling through Samaria, given the poor relationship between the Jews and Samaritans. So they were more than a little surprised to find Jesus talking with this woman. And even more than surprised by her response. As I said before, they must have been thinking, this is Samaria and Samaritans live here. Now, there's probably some conjecture about it, but we think that the disciples were pretty young. Some of them would have been, well, when they were called 16, 17-year-olds, very young. The oldest one was Peter. and he's the only one that could pay the temple tax you had to be a certain age to do that. And maybe they were thinking, oh dear, mum and dad, I'd be so busted if mum and dad could see me walking through Samaria. Not good. There a few instances like that where Jesus took them. Um, Caesarea Philippi, the, 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 the hotbed of pan worship. Again, the disciples said, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm sure Jesus knew what he, they were thinking. In a similar way, I've heard this comment in relation to going to prisons. I've had people, Christian people, say to me, why do you bother going to prison? Don't they deserve it? Why worry about them? They're prisoners. They're criminals. Well, I can't work that out. I can't think, find that thinking because they're people. I always say to the guys when I do a course, I don't call you prisoners, you're people. You're human beings. I once heard a a man who'd been in prison for a long time say, in my time in prison, I met very few evil people. Ninety percent, 99% of people in jail are people like you and I who just made the wrong decision, made a wrong choice. Jesus demonstrated in this story, in this narrative, in this interaction that the gospel is equally offered to all, Jews, Samaritans and Gentiles alike. That's what characterises this new kingdom of God that he's ushering in. Change your mindset about God and what the kingdom of God looks like. He says to his disciples, that's what he says, change your thinking. And he says that to us today. Open your eyes, but open your hearts and look to the fields before you. There is a harvest there. Think again. Allow your mindset to be challenged and transformed by the mercy of And the grace that Jesus showed you. Look at that. That woman, she just couldn't keep it in. Jesus did a work in her life and she just raced back, left everything behind and brought the people to come and hear. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this guy. I love that that, that thought. What's Jesus done? Do you have that too? What Jesus did in your life. Are you so excited and want to share that with other people from the perspective of what where you came from to what you are now. As Paul says in Romans 12, renew your minds, look for the kingdom of God mindset and don't follow the old patterns of thinking you had before you were saved. If you renew your thinking, you will go you will get to see what God's will truly is and you'll discover the true nature and beauty of the kingdom of God that Jesus introduced, that upside down countercultural kingdom. Then you will see the mission fields in places you least expected. Like prisons, like city streets, like nursing homes, like schools, like shopping centres. There will be people hungry and thirsty for the gospel right in front of you. Jesus says to us, your mission fields are right before you as well as in places far away. Open your eyes to see it. And the third point I really like, the mission is always a partnership with others. Jesus in this passage says that sharing the good news the kingdom message is always a partner thing. You don't do it alone. Here he uses farming language again to illustrate the point. Any harvest involves many people working together, cultivating, sowing, fertilising, harvesting. So it is with sharing the good news. It's a partnership. We need each other and we all need Jesus. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, he calls his, He commands his disciples To go and share the good news and to make disciples. So it's not just sell the gospel, but to make disciples. So don't just share the news and leave them. Share the good news and walk with them, disciple them. But what does he say? Of all nations, but he finishes by saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. It's a partnership. I'm still with you. I'm with you all the time. Jesus is our partner and mission as well. It's the church, the body of Christ that reaches the world and is charged with the task of making disciples of all nations. No one of us carry this mission alone. We need to work together as partners. Prison Fellowship always is deeply appreciative of the connection and the support we have from churches, from people and and individuals and, and churches. We're passionate about partnering with local churches like One Hope Community Church. We're a gospel ministry. So we seek to connect with churches because that keeps us connected with the gospel. We really do treasure the support and encouragement we receive from churches. It's a practical and tangible outworking of what Jesus is describing here. We can't carry out this mission in our prisons without the partnership we have with people in churches and individuals. So thank you for your interest this morning. It's a relief to know, as Jesus says, that it's not all up to us individually to share the gospel. We do it in partnership with many others. Paul talks about this later in the New Testament when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. Again, using the image of farming, Paul talks about sowing and watering and growing being something that takes a whole group of people along with God. I like the way he describes those involved in mission as in mission workers, co-workers we're co-workers in the gospel we, say, we see ourselves as co-workers with you and with other churches and individuals across Victoria partnering together to reach the mission fields in Victoria we have a huge mission field right in our, our state and our country our prisons, gospel there is a great need during the their the two years of lockdown. Uh, we were really stuck because the prisons locked down, and I mean, really locked down. They wouldn't let anyone in. Uh, the main reason being that they didn't want to get COVID in the prisons, because if they did, the men would have to be, the men and women would have to be locked in their cells. That would create a high level of tension, which that's when you have riots and things. So they, we couldn't go in. I remember thinking. Um, so frustrating. Here I am, the volunteers coordinator. We, no, volunteers aren't doing anything. But we became aware of prisoners in some of the metropolitan prisons who'd been organising their own services, their own prayer groups, their own mission uh, meetings together. And I remember thinking, why should I be surprised by this? This is what God's talking about. And as if to underscore that, an old long-term volunteer emailed me and said, Richard, we've got to get away from this idea of that we're bringing the gospel to wherever, in this case, the prisons. We're not bringing the gospel. We're not bringing God into the prisons. God is already in there. He's working. God's already in the shopping centre. God's already in the nursing home. What he wants us to do is to come and join him, partner with him, work with him as co-workers and continue to grow the ministry. And I thought, wow, that, that was real like a light bulb for me. And it just encouraged me during the lockdown. God is still at work. So Jesus reminds us in his passage that we need to open our eyes to see the enormous need and spiritual hunger out there and to realise that time for action is now. The fields are ready to be harvested. People are ready to hear the good news. But often in places we don't expect secondly besides opening our eyes we need to open our minds and embrace kingdom thinking change our expectations and bring them in line with jesus pattern our lives on jesus life and be ready to carry out the mission that he gave us the way he modeled it with renewed minds and hearts we can begin to see that there are mission fields or opportunities to share the good news all around us thirdly don't do it alone It's a partnership which includes Jesus as an integral partner. We are co-workers with Jesus in the kingdom and in the mission fields we work in. Your work in sharing the gospel will be combined with other efforts in a partnership to see many people restored to a right relationship with God as he planned already in Genesis. And I say many. One of the key verses we did in the third session of The Prisoner's Journey is Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous... But the sinners, and another one, I came to call many. So not everyone will re- respond. Not everyone. But many will. And that's what the harvest is about. Thirdly, we're all, uh, finally, remember we are serving Jesus and continuing the work and mission that he has initiated. And I love that. Jesus initiated the kingdom. Just like God initiated creation, And got us to continue working in it, to develop it, as it says in Genesis 1, 27. In Jesus' coming, he initiated the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 28, continue growing the kingdom, sharing the good news. So let's join with Jesus as his hands and feet, doing in the will of the Father, who yearns to see people restored to relationship. And let's continue the work of growing and advancing the kingdom of God that Jesus came to usher in. Let's be prepared to share the hope and love that we ourselves have received now. Remember, Jesus always will be with us, no matter what happens. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing word. Lord, we thank you that you shared the gospel with us first. You changed our lives. You changed our hearts. You impacted us. And so armed with that, that awe and that knowledge fill us with a keen sense of reaching out to share this good news just like the Samaritan woman did with those around us, with those who want to hear and to equip us to be able to disciple the people that you put in our paths and help us to work together as a team. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.